As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, as we continue our sermon series in this amazing book of God. Uh, it tells us our history, uh, the history of the New Testament church. Hey, what a absolutely beautiful weekend. Do I hear an amen? Is this not awesome? I don't know about you, but last night I had uh, my first fire in the fire pit last night, cooked a little s'mores. Uh, it was absolutely wonderful. And I know as a preacher, I love Sundays like these because every football fan I know is showing up happy today, uh, right? Uh, how about them Gators? Uh, those Gator fans are showing up happy. We better see that reflected in the offering plate today, okay? Uh, we know that FSU, uh, once again, heart attack kids, and they uh, came through. Uh, even Miami, do they still play? Uh, they won yesterday. Those of you UCF fans or USF fans, I'm sorry. I know you guys didn't win. Hey, but a couple of weeks ago, I think it was October 18th, there was what was reported as the game of the century. Now, let me ask uh, some of you who aren't football fans, how many game of the centuries can we actually have, right? Well, this game of the century was between the powerhouse Florida State Knowles and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, it was a rematch of a big game uh, some 20 years ago, and it was going to be up in Tallahassee. And I had two friends that just had to go. So uh, they did what many of you might have done and many others. They made their trek up to Tallahassee and before the game uh, walked to the stadium and they purchased their tickets. They were pleased with their purchase. It set them back about 150 bucks a piece uh, for good lower bowl tickets. But hey, game of the century, lower bowl, FSU, Notre Dame, they were going to be there. So they get up to the gate, and as you know, the attendant, uh, who nowadays uh, scans your ticket, uh, takes the ticket, excited to get in. She scans the ticket, and four letters come up in capital letters. Stop. Eh. Instead of that little beep, beep, like, you know, enjoy your game, beep, beep, it was eh. What happened? Can you please try him again? Eh. Can you try him again? Eh. Stop. I'm sorry. You're going to have to take these tickets over to that police officer over there who basically says, I can't help you. They're counterfeit. They're not good. You bought worthless pieces of paper and you can't get in. Man, difficult evening, huh? So you find yourself at a local pub uh, uh, watching a game thinking, oh my goodness, I could have been there. They didn't have the right ticket to get in. They didn't have the real ticket. Uh, and they didn't have the credentials, if you will, to get in. It wasn't the real deal. Well, this morning, let me ask the ultimate question for all of us. What gets us into God's family? What do you need to be saved? I mean, what are the credentials that you need to, to get into heaven, to get into God's family? Are there counterfeits? This is basically the question that's being asked this morning in God's word. In God's word, there's a debate, and I'm not telling you, this is not a small debate. This is a heated debate. I mean, this is going to be a, a major part of God's story. What, what does it take? What, creden what credentials do you need to be saved? How do we get in? You know, all sorts of people have been showing up the door of Christianity. We've been looking at that in the book of Acts. And the gospel power of God is really working. And all sorts of people seem to be showing up. And the question is, well, who gets this and who doesn't? 
what credentials do you need to get in? This last Friday was Reformation Day, right? All right, gotcha, didn't I? Uh, this last Friday, October 31st, is what we claim as uh, those who embrace the Reformed faith is Reformation Day. Because it was on that date, way back in 1517, in a place called Wittenberg, Germany, where Martin Luther was going to take 95 Theses, and he was going to go and he was going to hammer it on the door of the church. Thus beginning the Protestant Reformation. And really, what came out of there, where this question is, well, how do you get in? What are the credentials? How are we saved? There were five things that came out of that Reformation, many more things, but they were boiled into what some will say in Latin, the solas of the Reformation alone. Five things. It's all about grace alone. It's all about faith alone. How do you get in? It's by Christ alone. It's all about God's word and scripture alone. And it's all for the glory of God alone. That was 517. And the world was never the same. You take away those 1500 years and you're going to find yourself where we are in the text today. At this place called the Jerusalem Council. Where they were asking the very same questions. How am I saved? How am I a part of God's family? We've been looking at these encounters in the book of of, uh, Acts, and we've seen quite a stir and all kinds of people show up. But let me give you a little background about what's going to happen this morning. Paul and Barnabas come back to a place called Antioch. It's in Syria. And they report what God has done um, through the good news of the gospel. And the whole church is so excited that Jews and Gentiles are coming to Christ. And as they're there and they're excited, you know that, you know that buzz that comes when, when God is moving, when they're so exciting and celebrating all these lives change? Well, these religious people show up from Jerusalem and Judea and they start arguing with Paul and Barnabas. They said, now listen, this Jesus fellow, that's great stuff and awesome. Man, you've accepted him. But if you really want to be in the family, if you really want to be saved, you got to be circumcised. You don't get it until you're circumcised. Matter of fact, you also, you, you have to follow the law of Moses. You're not really in. We can't give you the secret handshake. We can't let you in to the inner circle until you do these other things. And so this morning we're going to see, and listen, this isn't just important for them. This is important for us. This is important for all who follow Christ. How is it that we get in? Do we have a counterfeit ticket or the real deal? In this passage, you'll see a couple of voices emerge. Uh, you'll hear the debate and then you'll see that Peter, Peter stands up and he's going to tell how God has brought in a non-Jewish people to faith. And you're also going to hear about a guy named James, and he's going to kind of have the last word. Now, some of you who know the Bible, you might think the apostle James. There were John and James. But this is not that James. He's already been martyred for his faith. This is Jesus' brother. 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says that he had a, had a special visit with the resurrected Christ, and he will become what the Bible says 
a pillar in the church. And he will also help answer the question, how are we to be saved? Let's look to God's word in Acts chapter 15, picking up where we left off last week. I'm going to read verses 1 through 29 this morning. If you want to follow along, it should be in your bulletin. By the way, we have for anybody who doesn't have a Bible, uh, outside when you come in, these are for you. And so if you don't have one, please don't be embarrassed. We'd love to give you one. We have them for you. And so uh, if you see these Bibles, uh, grab one. Uh, take it home. It's yours. And not that you need one, Greg, but you're up front. So I'm going to give that to you. All right. Read it and apply it to your life, Greg. All right, here we go. Let's hear God's word. Remember, they just returned to Antioch and were sharing with the church the good news of the gospel. God's word, Acts 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Jerusalem, at this point in church history, was the center hub of this decision-making. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, now interesting, this would have been Paul's people. He too was a Pharisee who was a believer. But these Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, those who came to faith, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there has been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, we didn't look at that. That's Acts chapter 10, how Cornelius and other Gentiles were coming to faith. Let's continue. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. They were arguing, now there's a silence. I tell you, as a preacher, I know when God's working, when there's a hush. And it happens sometimes. It's hard in a place like this. It's so loud. 
but boy, when there's a congregation that listens. That's where they were. They fell silent and they listened to Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, this is Jesus' brother, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, he's calling him Simon, but he's giving him a name, a nickname. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and he's going to quote Amos here. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from that which has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every, every city those who proclaimed him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Bersabbas and Silas leading men among them, the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the, of Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from, from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, whom themselves will tell you the same thing by the word of his mouth. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed from idols and from blood and from, that, from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us? This story sounds so old. In many ways, sounds so foreign. But God, it's for each one of us. This is so important for us to be able to answer the question, according to your word, how do we get saved? How are we accepted? How do we become a part of your family. Father, give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth and love, and feet that walk in a manner worthy of your name. And God, the things that I said or that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Use those things to set us free today. Use those things to make us more like Jesus today. 
Use those things to make your bride more beautiful today. May the things that I say that are wrong or my opinion just be forgotten and fall away. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is that uh, um, we are saved. If you want to follow along in the bulletin, there's an outline for you. By grace alone. When I read this first blush, I think, man... Who are these people who are causing such a dissension in the church? I mean, why are they adding a burden to these Christians? Why are they trying to steal their joy? But I got to tell you, I think I understand more of what's happening when you look at the Bible as one story. When people came to faith in the Old Testament that God would provide a Savior, when they came into the family, they were to be circumcised. This is the way that they were to be accepted. And so what they thought is, you know, okay, Jesus is, is great. And so for you to really be a part of the family, you got to become Jewish. you got to be circumcised. I really feel like they had good intentions when they were saying, here are the requirements. But they were completely wrong. You see, what the good news is this, is God's not saying you got to become a Presbyterian. Or you got to become Catholic or Pre- Baptist or Jewish to come to Christ. It's basically saying there's something completely new that is happening. And God's prophet said that this would happen, that the Gentiles would come. And the first thing we see is, is salvation is by God's grace alone. Again, from the words of Peter in verse 11, he says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as we will. Basically is saying is this, is that salvation is all by God's grace from beginning to end. By God's grace, he said that, that the Gentiles would come to him. It says by God's grace that he himself has visited the Gentiles. He's given them visions like through Cornelius. We've read that it was by God's grace that he has appointed some for eternal life. In chapter 13, those who were coming to Christ, God knew. And he had appointed them eternal life. It says, by God's grace, he knew their hearts. And they're like ours, they're sinful. But by God's grace, it says in verse 9, he cleansed their hearts. Here's the bottom line. God doesn't save us because we're good. God doesn't save us because of the things that we've done. God doesn't save us through religion. God doesn't save us by acts of obedience. God doesn't save us of how good we're going to be. God doesn't save us because of any other reason other than the fact of he's gracious to sinners like us. There is absolutely zero of in us that deserves a God to love us. There's absolutely nothing that we could do to ever earn our way to heaven, ever. There's no ticket that we could buy. There, there's there's no, nothing we could do. There's not enough religious exercises that we have to do that we are saved by God's sheer mercy to sinners like us. Nothing else. I mean, they were basically trying to say, yeah, Jesus is great, but let me add something to Jesus. You got to have Moses. You got to have Jesus and Moses to really get it. And you got to have ceremonies like circumcision or baptism. And maybe some of you have grown up with that as well. Say, if you really want to be saved, you got to join this church or, or have this ritual. This is how you're really saved. It's not the gospel. There's not one thing plus Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2.8, it says this, it's for by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing. Not one thing of your own doing. It's completely a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one should boast. This good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins, continues, and ends all with God's mercy and grace to sinners like us. Let me read to you Titus. Titus 3, 5, and 6 says this. God saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting the order here. He's basically saying God saved us. God washed us. God renewed us. God gave us the Holy Spirit. I mean, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was nothing that we could offer to the equation. Nothing we added to salvation. He did it all whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified or declared not guilty before a holy God, so being justified by his grace, we might become heirs or family members according to the hope of eternal life. Here's what it's saying. Our salvation is truly amazing grace. You don't have to buy a ticket to get in. And anybody who's offering anything other than Jesus, it's a counterfeit. It doesn't work. If we get this, what kind of people should we be? If we get this, what do we have to to say to God, well, look what I've done. If we get this, should we not be the most grateful people ever? That by God's amazing grace and his grace alone, we have been justified and set free. We've been brought in. Salvation is by grace alone, but it's more than that. Salvation is through faith alone. It's it's the grace of God that gives us faith. Uh, Again, look at verse 9. Peter says that God knows the hearts. He bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. It's basically saying this. Even the faith that we have in Christ Jesus, it's a gift. And it's through that faith that we will now not trust in our works, but our faith is completely on what Jesus has done we will be saved. Galatians 2.16 says it this way. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, circumcision, the law of Moses, doing the right thing, tithing, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is basically saying that God's grace is so much is that for us is that he will, he will even give us this gift of faith to believe. And when we believe in Jesus, it's very important that we believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That Jesus is God's son. I mean, Jesus is the only savior of the world. That we believe that, that Jesus not only who he is, but what he's done for me. That he's not some historical figure or religious figure. That Jesus is my Lord. That Jesus is my Savior. 
that the only hope I have is in him. And I rest completely on him alone for salvation. It's a pretty amazing chair right here that's going to take 300 pounds and support me. It's not bad. I can put my whole weight and trust in this one chair to support me. All right, what's the big deal? I could put everything I am in trust of Jesus to support me for salvation. There's nothing that I can stand on my own. It's in him. You know what this is telling us? It's telling us that everything that God requires from us, and he's a holy God and he requires perfection. Everything that God requires from us, you ready for this? He provides for us. That's crazy good, is it not? I mean, holy God who, de- who demands perfection, everything that God requires from us, he provides for us. It's even better. Everything he provides for us, he perfects in us. Man, we are saved by God's grace. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. And we truly are set free. What are you resting on? Scripture tells us that one day is coming that every one of us is going to stand before God. Every one of us is given an account. I got one word on my lips. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, he is my all. He is my everything. He is my salvation. He is my identity. He is my hope. He is my anchor. He is my very life. He is my being. His name is Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. And by your grace, you've given him to me. And by your grace, you've given me faith. And here I stand. I have nothing but rags to offer apart from him. Salvation is grace alone. It's faith alone. And salvation is on the person and work of Christ alone. It's interesting as I, as we have the privilege of, of going through our Discovering Orangewood class, I, I'm so excited because there seems to be more of an understanding of salvation as God's grace. And there seems to be more of an understanding of salvation is all about faith. But sometimes when we ask the question of, hey, how are you? And and how do you know for sure you get in? How do you know you have the right ticket? Oftentimes I hear very little about Jesus. But you see, we got to realize that this faith doesn't ultimately save us. Jesus does. Faith is our connection to Jesus. That's, that, that's what he's going to say. Okay, you're connected by faith, not by works. But the object of our salvation, you can't miss this. The object of our salvation is the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. We are not saved unless he is the spotless lamb of God. We are not saved unless he came as Emmanuel, God with us, and fulfilled the law of God. God's requirements had to be met. We are not saved unless Jesus becomes truly the the lamb of God that was slaughtered for our sins. We are not saved, scripture says, without the shedding of blood. The only way our sins can be washed clean is because Jesus bled for them and he died for them. It's in Jesus alone through his righteous life, through his atoning death. But there's more. It's through his resurrection. If Jesus only came here to live for us and he came here to die for us, but he remains in the tomb, it didn't work. But amazingly, through the resurrection, it's God's declaration that he'll accept that sacrifice on our behalf. That death no longer reigns, life does. 
And our sins truly have been separated for far as the east is from the west. Here's what it means. We really can be made new. We really can be forgiven. We can sit here right now knowing poor messes. We're broken. We keep messing up. But we're free. And we're loved. And we're forgiven. Because of the person, because of the work of Christ Jesus for us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Dare we not lean on any other frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Man, this debate was hot because they're saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. And I love the fact that Peter and Barnabas and uh, Paul and, and James stood up and said, no, it truly is all about Jesus Christ, the Lord. But salvation is never alone. It's interesting. It says all these things, but salvation is never alone. The good news of the gospel will never be alone by itself. It's basically saying this. If this is true, you should live differently. You read Acts 15 on the surface, and it's kind of confusing. I'll tell you why. Because it begins with a debate. What must we do to be saved? It ends with a conclusion in a sense in verse 19. James says we should do nothing else. We should add nothing else. And I want the chapter to come to a conclusion. But then he says this. But you know what? It would be good for you <laughs> if you avoid idols. It would be good for you if sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornonia, if you didn't have that in your life. It'd be good for you if you avoided animals that were strangled. You're thinking, what in the world is that all about? And it's basically dietary things with making sure there was no blood in what you're eating. And just basically blood along. Just avoid these. It'd be good for you if you don't avoid these things. And as a lot of times I've read Acts 15 says, that's kind of hard to deal with. You mean just you're going to say it's Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. But by the way, do these things. Why? I believe it's two reasons. One, it's this way. It's so that because we are made new, we won't let our lives be polluted. Be polluted by idols. And now again, their idols are different than our idols. An idol is anything that you have made an ultimate thing. It could be your marriage. It could be your job. It could be your kids. It's anything that rivals God. Why would God say, keep idols from your life? Why? Because he says, I should be number one. He says, you now, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the place where God and man meet. You're the light of the world. You're, you're a city on a hill. You're, you're a part of my family. And I want you to make sure that because of that, you keep the house clean. Don't be offensive to God. I mean, he set you free to live now as a slave to Jesus. He set you free. I mean, Romans or Ephesians 2.10 says, right after the end of 2 and 8 and 9, which is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, so no one can boast. But in verse 10 it says, but now we are Christ's workmanship. We're his workmanship. We're his masterpieces. We've been created, made new in Christ Jesus. Why? To do good works. To walk in them. That our lives should be radically different because Jesus owns it. We should be the aroma of Christ. We should long for what he longs for, love for what he loves. Holiness should be a part of our lives. So we shouldn't pollute our lives with idols, with good things that we make ultimate things. We shouldn't pollute our lives with sin. 
like pornea, a sexual immorality. We shouldn't pollute our lives with those things that will put a mark in our lives in the name of God. But he also says this. I really believe when he's talking about this strangled animals and this blood stuff, he's saying, don't let your life be offensive to others. You're going to get into a family that's going to be pretty culturally different. And there's a lot of people who read the law of Moses, and they've been acting a certain way for a long time. And you know what? They really feel they honor God by the certain things they eat. Now, God's made it clear that what he declares clean is clean and dietary laws are not what we're supposed to follow. But don't, don't be offensive. Don't live your life that you're just going to come in and say, let me show you uh, that I don't care the way you live. I want to live, live the way I live. It's really care about the ones who's next to you. One of the greatest things we do, we have a mission team coming back from Turkey today. One of the greatest things you could ever do is go find Christians in another culture and go realize of how much your Christianity has been shaped by being an American, by being living here and realize that the way you worship is completely different sometimes than the way people worship in other contexts. The, the what you eat, the way you dress. I mean, you know, we would be offensive to some people the what we do here. I mean, some of our heads aren't covered and some of the things we culturally were fine here, but in other cultures, he's basically saying, would you please be sensitive to the fact that you're in? Your ticket doesn't say stop, come on in, but there's others around you. I think as Americans, we miss that a lot. Uh, I love being in America. I'm so grateful for this country, but so much of my understanding of Christianity has been so shaped by my culture. And it's so great to realize there's a bigger family. And I want the truth of the gospel to shape me, not the American ideals. And I have so much to learn from other cultures. And together, just making sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Don't let your life be polluted by sin. You're the Holy Spirit. And don't be a a stumbling block for others. We know that faith without works is truly dead. But in Christ Jesus, we've been truly made alive. How is it with you? How is it with you this morning? In your life, Tell me, where's Jesus? Is it Lord and Savior? Is it Jesus plus something else? According to God's word, it's got to be all about God's grace alone. All about faith completely in Christ alone. In that Christ Jesus is, is your Lord and Savior. But again, if that's the reality, it should never be alone. We're going to go to the table And the table is basically, do you have a ticket? Scripture wants us to make sure, don't show up to the table without the right ticket. Make sure you don't have a counterfeit. And make sure you don't come here, because Scripture says to come to this table and partake of it with a counterfeit ticket, it's it's gonna, it's bad news. So what should we do? It said, well, examine your life. Where are your idols? Repent of them. Where's your sexual morality? Repent of it. Uh, where, Where are the things you're doing that are offensive to God and the others? Repent of it. But come. Well, how do I know if I'm genuine? Is Jesus alone your Lord and Savior? If the answer is yes, this meal is for you. To come and tangibly touch and taste the reminder of God's depth of love for you. This table is basically going to proclaim to one another and to the heavenly host, we believe By God's grace, we believe that Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, our only hope. And we can't wait for the meal to come where we see him face to face. Let us pray.
Father God, would you come with your spirit and remind us that it's all by your grace. It's all received through faith. All resting alone on Christ. And God, would you remind us that at this table as we come. And uh, God, I pray for anyone here who is yet to embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or it's Jesus in something else. That they would even now place all of their faith and trust in Christ alone for their salvation and nothing else. But God, for those of us who are yours, broken sinners like us, bring us to the table, cleanse us, renew us, remind us. And God, as we give our tithes and offerings, help that as well, just prepare our hearts that we're not trying to barter with you. We don't give you a tithe, your tithe and our offering because we want to merit something. We do it because your verdict is in and you've declared us not guilty and we're yours and you love us. And so for that, we freely give. Give all that you've given to us knowing that we will never give something that you won't give back even more. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.